Look, we deal with Colossians. If you are new here, uh, we are we go through books of the Bible. And right now, there's a couple of guys passing the Bibles. You'll need a Bible, so uh, I want to ask you a couple, ask you to do a couple preliminary things. First, you want to raise your hand for a Bible. We want to ask you to understand your responsibility here when you come to service at MacAv. Um, you have a responsibility here at MacAv. Your responsibility is not. And I want to make sure everybody understands this. It's not to just hear me talk. Your responsibility is not to judge what I do and how I do it. Your responsibility is to understand what God says in the scripture and to now have the stewardship of how that's going to apply to your life and how you're going to use that to proclaim God's kingdom to the nations. All right, guys. So when you come, I want to ask you to be prepared to want to learn about Christ. Uh, If you're new, I want to ask you to understand that we go through books of the Bible and to not... Uh, I want to ask you to consider saying, I'm, I'm going to come, if I'm going to hit from here now, I'm going to stay at least through this whole Colossians series and see what the Lord does. Not judge, I just want to see what the Lord does as we enter into his word. Um, so you're going to need probably a pen or pencil. You're going to need some paper. Uh, I want you to, you're going to need Bibles. If you, if you, if you got a Bible, you want to write in it, you know, it's, it's cool to write in the Bible. Sometimes you get new stuff, you know, brothers don't want to write in the Bible. You can write in the Bible. Uh, you want to you want to understand how to study the scriptures. Um, so we're going to we're going to be diving in. I just want to make sure uh, that this is a this is a two way street. This, this is not a, a spectator sport. OK, but that but that we're here with great tenacity and passion to learn about Christ. All right, guys. Cause, you know, I know how it is. I mean, there's a balance, right? I mean, you know, we have families and kids. And so sometimes we sit in the back. But sometimes I'm like, man, I wonder. I mean, like, you know, if you know, if, if uh, I just wonder if, if Barack Obama was here. I wonder, you know, cats be in the back just loafing, you know, it's kind of chilling. Or, you know, I think of I think of the book of Ezra, you know, I'm like, man, when they open up the law, I was wondering whether contemporary prophets or the people of God, you know, you know, sitting just chilling in, like in the back. Or was there a passion or tenacity to go, whoa, God's words being spoken right now. I want to hear what's going on. And that's not to condemn or judge anybody, but that's to say, guys, I. Our body, I know it's what we want. We want to be passionate about Jesus. We want, to, we want to know what the living word says. We want to apply it. And so I really want to pray that your, all of our disposition will be as such. And if it's not, because I know how it is. I mean, me and Sarah had a big fight with, a couple nights ago, and I was a wreck. I was all flesh. I had to repent. And, you know, you come in sometimes, and you're a wreck. And then I just want to ask you to consider repenting of your sin, confessing to the Lord, and allow the Lord to be purging your heart so that we can experience the Lord together. All right, family? Cool. Um, so, so that's that's just preliminary. Have some information now. Another thing is, I want to apologize to you guys. We have a we have a document, a little booklet that we want to give to you. And guys, um, I, I just feel like it's not. I didn't format it to the standard I wanted it. I looked at it now, and I'm going, I'm not feeling it. And so, I'm going to give this to you later in the week. I'm not going to give it to you this to, uh, today. So I want to apologize for that, but you'll get it pretty soon. And basically what it has is uh, it has this uh, background of Colossians study notes. Uh, it has some notes of questions and answer questions for you guys to be processing through in your Mac groups. Uh, or you can just have it on your own time. Also has a bibliography sheet. Some of you guys are going to ask for good bibliographies of things to be reading to make sure that you're growing in the Lord. We have a big page on that. Um, we have some, some inductive Bible study uh, methods, and I know you've been you've been asking for Bible study methods. Uh, Ken has been super, super gracious to me, and so we have that for you. So you'll be getting that later in the week. I want to apologize for um, not having that total quality right now, uh, but hopefully we can have that to you uh, later in the week. All right, guys.
Um, one other thing is that when we enter into uh, book studies, the reason why we do this is because the thing is naturally uh, left into my own faculties. I'm, I'm a messed up dude. Uh, I will probably stay in texts that are very comfortable for me. OK, so I probably always stay maybe in a, a good gospel or something like that. The reason why we flow through every book of the Bible, and that's what we're doing, is we're going to go through every book of the Bible uh, at this local body. That's what we're going to do. We've uh, done John. We've done Galatians. We've done Genesis. And here we are now hitting Colossians. And then we'll keep bouncing on until we hit 66 books. And so hopefully we can all stay alive long enough to do that. Um, and hopefully we'll make it. Wouldn't that be cool? We have a big party, right? We're going to do 66 books. Uh, so, um I didn't say, guys, so uh, six, seven books, sorry. What, what happens is if we are, uh, we do that because we want to make sure that we're getting the whole counsel of God. Okay? And so we're saying we want, every book is uh, extremely important because God wrote it uh, through man. So we want to get the whole counsel of God, and that's one of the reasons why we're going through every book of the Bible and right now in Colossians. Okay? Now, here's, here's our goal. One last thing. Please, if you know this as Mac Average, but if you're new, uh, we ask people to please ask questions if you need to. Um, this is a, a, a free risk environment. We want you to feel safe here. The goal is not just to get smarter, uh, but really it is for worship. We want people to we want the information to lead toward worship, right? Responding to God based on who he is and what he's done. And so if you just leave her smarter, we've, we've done something wrong. Uh, we want you to at least, well, at least be convicted that that's not what we wanted. Uh, we want you to leave here worshiping Christ and understanding the gospel. So if you can add value to the body by asking a question, please feel free to do so. Okay, guys? All right. This is going to be a, a, a preliminary time. Uh, we're going to jump in a word briefly, but it's just the beginning, the salutation piece in a little chunk. So it's not much, but there's a good word that we're going to see in the scriptures that I want. I'm really excited about. It has convicted my heart like crazy. I mean, I've been just, just yeah, it's been really good in my, my heart. And even as I think of worshiping the Lord and responding to my family, we we'll talk about that in a moment. I want to go through a few uh, preliminary things. First, our goal. Here's the goal when you read the Bible. Okay, you don't read the Bible, um, and I think hopefully our Mac average get this by now, because I've been saying this since I've been here. Uh, you don't read the Bible going, what's in it for me, primarily, okay? All right, that might sound unpopular, but that's biblical. It's not, it's not about you, and uh, primarily. And you don't read the Bible going, so like, how do I find my good thing for the day, you know, especially if you're teaching Bible study methods. That's not the goal. Now, hear me, in your own closet, if God gives you a little something, something for just you, God does that too. So hear me, I'm not saying that's mutually exclusive. Like you, I'm not saying you, that can't be the case. I'm saying that's not the way you come to biblical interpretation. Okay? So you can get some good stuff, you know, like, you know, you was wearing red, then you read a word named red, you know, the red in the Bible, and that just blessed you. And that's cool, but you can't go teaching that on Mac Ave. You know what I'm saying? You know, and so, so that's, that blessed you. And now you like red, but it doesn't bless, it's not doctrine. Right? So... So, so the goal, though, is to move between. This is what we're doing in Colossians. This is what we've always done. We're trying to be a move first century Colossians. So we got these cats here, and then we're going to be as and, and then moving between them and 21st century Detroit. That's us, right? Uh, the book that talks about this practically is um, John Stott, who's like a, a great patriarch of our faith. Uh, uh, he wrote a book called Between Two Worlds, where he discusses this reality, is that um, there's these worlds. And right now, we, we're doing a hard task. That's what exegesis is. We're trying to figure out what was being said in the first century uh, to these guys and understand exactly what was being said. And then from there, we, we say, OK, how does that apply now? Like, how do we interpret that in 21st century Detroit? And then now, how do we apply it to our lives based on what was said to these guys? 
So we got so we got to spend time here because if we don't understand what's happened here uh, in the first century. We will have wrong interpretation here in the 21st century. We're on the same page. So please um, handle the Bible responsibly. And the, the goal of me as your as your as your leader is I want to train you to be responsible Christians um, to understand that you're called to be theologically responsible, not irresponsible. Continue on here. If you see it stuck, just just move it on for me. If you see me pushing it. Uh, so now let's talk about the Roman uh, Roman Empire real quick, guys. OK, so what's happening as we talk about the first century, here's what's going on during this time. And it's important to know. So now now understand your day here and now try to put on your glasses and we're going to go now to uh, this time in Colossians. OK, uh, in its pinnacle, because Rome was running things during this time. OK, guys, so Rome is in control. Imagine that. OK, this. Uh, so uh, like we are seen as a superpower. But Rome is like controlling the known world at this time. And and Rome was was over forty two hundred miles across. I bring it up just to help you understand how how big, uh, how powerful they were. Um, how how large of the territory in that time they had conquered that much land. That's bigger than the United States. In the United States, like thirty three, I mean three thousand or three thousand four hundred, three thousand three hundred square feet. Okay, four thousand. You know, I mean, I mean, um, three thousand three hundred miles. I'm sorry, square feet. <laughs> That's like my house. So, um, <laughs> but four thousand two hundred miles across. Okay, so that's how big. I mean, think about it. We conquered land. Now we got planes and all that stuff. They did this like with nothing. They expanded that much of a territory with a bunch of horses and stuff. Okay, so uh, so like India to England would be kind of Rome. All right, uh, during that time. So Rome or Romans ruled the known world for fifteen hundred years. Okay, uh, put that in perspective. I'm just trying to help you understand what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a cultural milieu. You're dealing with a cultural distinctive here. Fifteen hundred years. We are not. Are we even? We're not even three hundred years old, are we? As in the United States of America. <laughs> Okay, 1,500 years, they ruled the known world, all right? Uh, now, considering that reality, then you must, we must all agree that Romans have greatly impacted the known world, okay? For 1,500 years, if you run at these, culture at some level is going to come from you, okay? So, so culture at this point, like to, to have good culture meant, I mean, you knew you were, you were culturally elite when you were of the Roman guard, Okay? Uh, for example, you guys have heard of uh, Roman roads. I mean, I know you, talk, you know navigators of Roman road, but this, that's just a, a term. Um, you've heard of the saying, all, ro- all roads lead to Rome. Like, this is the whole point of that. reason why that, that, that became a coined term, if you ever heard of that in your history, um, is because, imagine, back in those days, by the second century, there were 50,000 miles of roads in Rome, all leading to Rome. 50,000 miles of roads. Again, back in the day, they, they had built centers, and what this did, when they, when they built this, it became a place now where you can have great trade and commerce. Now, I'm making a point here. Don't miss this as you look at interpretation. So, you're very powerful. You have all these roles. What happens is the roles begin to uh, sort of like shrink things uh, a little bit, and then you have the good trade and commerce, but all of a sudden now, because things are shrink, uh, shrunk, or is that a good word, uh, you have now... Melting pots. You have cultures that never could connect before, but now can connect. Good and bad. Good in the sense of economics, sometimes bad in the sense of religion. 
Because all of a sudden now you have what you call uh, syncretism. Uh, the, the world shrinks and now you have syncretism. That is where you where you get you get different additives and with religion. So you you have syncretism means when you're adding together a bunch of religious religious thoughts. OK, so all of a sudden what happens is you might love Jesus, but you're going, man, I, I love Jesus, but I really love how those, you know, how those Hindus pray. I love their their desire for opening to spiritual realms. I'm going to add some of that to what I do. Oh, I love, I'm, I'm a Jesus guy, but I really love the way those Druids, you know, and how those guys like starve themselves. And, and so you start adding all this stuff and all of a sudden you begin to slowly change the gospel. All right. So um, you also had you had Roman Rose, Pax Romana, Roman Peace. So that was a big thing. I don't know if you've heard of that. The Roman Peace, Pax Romana. Well, the reason why that's interesting is because these guys were just crazy. I mean, they would kill and destroy. And uh, the way they the way they gathered all their land, the way they gathered all their power. Uh, but if you was if you were within Rome, you thought it was a very peaceful place. So everybody. So if you said this to other people, they're going, it wasn't peaceful. I was scared. But everybody else who were part of Rome, it was and you. It was very peaceful. And you saw this. If you look at the movie uh, uh, Gladiator, uh, for example, right? I mean, if you ever seen the movie Gladiator, and you and you can see how outside they're like, you know, big armies killing people and all this stuff. But then you go within Rome, and it's all peaceful, and everyone's like, you know, doing their thing, and it's it's kind of weird. So that was the deal, right? Um, so it's great in their mind. They had great Roman peace, uh, but also another thing was the Roman law is. They begin to do something that we just, it's commonplace to us now, but little simple things like they, they begin to establish things like wills. Like, you know, if you actually had land, uh, you can leave it to someone. Uh, you know, you can, and, you, and they would have it documented. And so, and they would have all these different laws within Rome where, I'm sorry, you go back please. Where in a nutshell, uh-oh. Keep going, sir. No, keep going. There you go. Well, we're in a nutshell, this was sort of the theme. If people felt like they're heard, they're cared for, and they get justice, usually those kind of people don't revolt. Okay? And so that was kind of the goal back back in the day. These guys were like, if we can keep people thinking that they have a security, you go, what does this mean? This is very important to what we're doing right now. Because get it, okay? So you have syncretism being an issue, but you also have this powerful nation sort of providing such a security blanket, such a safety net, such a hope that all of a sudden you begin to find your safety in a world system. Do you see that? You begin to find a safety in, and so now you have an issue because. You have this Christ figure saying you're not supposed to find your hope and your safety in a system. But, man, everything seems so peaceful here. Everybody got money. The economy's going well. Everyone's smart. What's wrong with this nice system? OK, real quick. Uh, Colossian Colossae is on is like sort of the eastern side of like basically Paul's missionary journey. You will have this in your notes next week. I'll just give you the, uh, the road map a little bit. Um, to talk about them specifically, they were populated by, by Jews and also it was very, a very diverse place. It was because uh, <clears throat> if you notice, uh, it's on this, has a different trade route because you have the water here. You have a trade route, so it's very diverse. Uh, you can continue on, please. Because it's not working. Uh, I just talked about that. Continue on. The big issues I wanted, that we're going to see in the scriptures, though. Continue on, please. The biggest issues is I think we're going to see in Colossians is where where is your hope? 
Okay, so the one, so one thing we're going to we're going to keep coming to is where does one hope lie? Okay, because again, you have you have this big issue here. You have Rome seeming to be a hope. I mean, you think about it; they both yield the cross to wield their power, right? You have Rome, whom they put people on the cross to show how powerful they were. You have Jesus, who actually died on the cross to show how powerful he is. Okay, the, the, the big difference, um, as you think of history, what I love about history is I love that although they are very powerful and very distinct, one now we read in the history book where the other one has affected millions and millions of lives and is still strong and powerful today, which is very interesting. And we'll talk more about that. I want to give up more stuff away. Um, but Rome, he is, but Paul's point in Colossians is he's going to show through Christ and the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection that Rome, in fact, is not your hope. Um, other pieces, man. Ugh. Other piece of syncretism. Let me, if I'm, if if you see, if you see me struggle, I'll tell you to hit. Okay. Okay. All right. So, syncretism. We just talked about being. So you have what is your hope, but also you have syncretism being. This sort of milieu of all these different religions and like people coming together. And you'll see this as we get into the scriptures. You'll see different aspects of Christianity, but also some Jewish stuff. You're, gonna, you're just going to see it all. And, and it shows you that man, there was something going on where people were kind of adding to the gospel. And this means something for us today, too, because I think we see this a lot in our community, which we'll, we'll, we'll expose soon. But also, people were perceiving Christianity as a set of rules. Uh, we're going to see this a lot, that people saw Christianity as a bunch of moral, moral ethics, moral codes. You do these things, you do these things, and then you're a good Christian, where we're going to be very clear that that's not Christianity, that's not the gospel. Uh, so those are, I would say, are kind of the big three um, as we move on. So in a nutshell, uh, that is uh, our our focal point in general, where we're going to go. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into this text real quick. And if you have any questions, what I want to focus on is what does it mean to be a loving people? Do I have someone who's going to read a text for me real quick? What we're going to do, guys, as, as, as uh, Alvin gets up to read, I want us all to just stand up as we jump into the text here. Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have, you have had, you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the world, the whole world, it is, being, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The holy reading of the scriptures, guys. Uh, we want to do that every week. Um, I want to come in, make sure we're reading the text together, uh, and then as we um, 
bless the Lord and sit and enjoy the scriptures. Uh, I was encouraged by our brother in our body. I think it was a good word to just making sure uh, that we place scripture in a very respectful place. It's not Jesus, but Jesus has given us authority of the scriptures, and I want to make sure we treat it as such. Okay, guys? Um, so let me ask God's blessing over the word. Holy God, we pray that you would uh, guide this time, uh, that you would be encouraged, that you would be pleased, that you would be exalted. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, look at the text here. So when we talk about interpretation, we have a brief salutation here. I'm going to run through this, and then I want to make some uh, brief points uh, that hopefully will be encouraging. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, uh, to the saints of, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. This is called salutation. Um, uh, the cool thing is Christians wrote a salutation with the gospel centrality, talking about God, our Father, uh, people being recognized as saints. So that's what's going on there. Not a ton, not not crazy. I wouldn't say things that you want to preach from, but it's a salutation that was that was very normal uh, in the first century. Uh, he then goes on to say in verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, uh, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. And so he talks about, he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So we see a few things here. We see that there's this focal point of love. Uh, he's, he's very encouraged. It's very clear that Paul is encouraged by these Colossians. He's encouraged because he talks about their love. Uh, and he talks about their love in a few ways, guys. It seems that he talks about their love being public, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, when we see in verse 4. He's talking about their love in the sense of it, that it flows, or I would say that love is a fruit, as it were, of, of hope. Um, as we see here in verse 4 and 5, that you have love for the saints because of the hope. Uh, we also see not only is love a fruit of hope, but we also see love and faith is a fruit of hope. Um, as we see in verse 4 and 5, because of the love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Uh, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. Uh, he's saying, I'm very encouraged by uh, by you, I'm seeing you guys believe the gospel. I'm seeing you guys trust, hoping in Christ. And in that, I'm seeing the flow of good deeds and love. I'm seeing the flow of faith. And I'm actually seeing the gospel go forth. Uh, the gospel is going to all nations. Uh, we also see, as we continue on, just as just, just clear observation and interpretation, uh, he says, verse 6, which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Uh, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, Epaphras being probably a manuensis here, a person who is writing down. We have Epaphras, who is actually a, a Colossian. Uh, he's a Colossian person, comes to Christ, goes here, shares his faith, and all of a sudden, basically, this church pops up. So in a nutshell, you say, what's the interpretation? It's very plain. We have Paul, who's very encouraged about uh, these Colossians as they are trusting God and they're seeing through their hope in Christ. They're seeing their love be clear. They're seeing the gospel go forth and they're seeing it all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. OK, so that's kind of the plain, clear interpretation of what's going on here in the, here in the beginning. Here's Paul encouraging the saints that you're doing a good work in Christ. What I want to do, though, is I want to look at something here that's kind of assumed. And I think by us seeing that he shows that these Colossians have great love, uh, he shows that, man, they, their love is birthed from hope. 
I began to ask myself, okay, so what would Paul want us to get out of this as 21st century believers as we see what he's showing us for the mindset of a first century Jew? And I wonder if he's saying, I want you to learn, maybe from just these eight verses, what does it mean to be a more loving people? And so I want to talk to you about what does it mean to love, according to just these brief passages, this brief passage here. All right, and I want to challenge you on some stuff here, as I think the scriptures are very clear in saying. So that's what we're going to jump into. The question is, what does it look like for us to be a loving people? What does the scriptures say here about love in these eight verses? Okay. Uh, the first thing I want to do before I even hit that, I want to show one big um, observation, and that is uh, that love, it seems that it's eventually noticeable. Uh, this is not I wouldn't say this is doctrine. But I would say pragmatically, as you look at the verses that we just looked at, uh, it says in verse four, since we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. I think I, I think it's practically wise to say if you want if we and me are loving people, uh, that that may be the demonstration of that love, uh, that the practical uh, a conclusion is that you get found out is that people when you're loving and care for people. Uh, eventually people are going to tell on you at some level uh, it's going to get known. I mean, the reality is you have Paul, who's probably in prison in Rome, and you have these guys, the Colossians, who are in Asia Minor, way over here. And for whatever reason, uh, he knows the rumor has gotten out that these guys are radically loving. And so just practically, I'm saying not theologically, just practically, it seems to me when you're out on the block changing tires, uh, when you're out serving people, when you're having people over for dinner, when you're giving people rides, when you're neighboring well in this community, when you're out being the gospel and loving people, people start telling on you. The word gets out. All right. That's just a quick observation. Um, now let's get into some of the theology, guys. The first thing I want to make clear in the scriptures, it seems the Bible's teaching, and that is uh, that love is a fruit of hope. So if you if you want to be a loving, a loving person and hear me here, if you want to be a loving person, you need to have hope. Verse four, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see that, guys? Look what he's saying here. So it says, I want to first say it says hope is an objective reality. This whole concept of laid up in heaven. The reason why that's important, guys, is because hope uh, gets a bad rap. And I'm going to define that in a moment. Uh, it seems that in the scriptures, hope is something that is tangible and it's somewhere where it's waiting for us. So it's a reality. It's not just uh, good thinking, but hope in itself is something that we obtain to. And I'm going to reveal what that is again. Uh, but also, we look at the text that we just saw, is that you have the conjunction here. You have uh, because. And so, it's, it seems that the scriptures are clear uh, in this passage that hope causes love. Alright? So, if hope causes love, then let's pause and talk about what the world assumes about, about, about hope. 
I want to propose to you the reason why we don't spend much time talking about hope, guys, is because almost and maybe it's just me, but it seems like the world has two issues about hope. First, we make hope. We think hope is just kind of wishful thinking. Uh, but also we talk about hope in, in the sense of Christianity, even as Christians, almost like for you to be thinking about eternity, for you to always be thinking about the glory of God and what Jesus done, did on the cross and what he's going to do and what he's going to do in us and how he's going to make, you know, I'm not going to have asthma anymore and how all new creations are going to be new and we're not going to have any problems. We can almost think like to always keep your mind so focused on the heavenly reality of what God has done and what he's doing almost makes you useless now. And I, I even heard a Christian, a Christian said to me once, he says, Eric, I think sometimes you can be so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. Have you ever heard that saying? Have you ever heard that saying? And so the world fools us and actually thinks, we think, well, no, the problem is we got these crazy, on fire, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping, prayerful Christians in the world, and they just don't connect to the world. That's the problem in Christianity. And we actually have Christians who can who actually will say that. We have other believers saying that if you're just so, so, so focused, so holier than thou. Have you heard that one? If every time I talk to you, all you do is talk Bible and all you're about is Jesus, you're just not going to be able to relate to the world. And that can seem sort of the mode of operation. And we can find ourselves going, I don't want to be too Christian. Because I want to be able to relate to the world. I want to propose to you. That this is an absolute lie. I want to propose to you that the world has fooled us. Uh, we think the world says, hey, it provides a lack of reality. Uh, it's not realistic to just always want to read your Bible. It's not realistic to be prayerful and, and to always want to see people come to Christ. And this is not realistic to give all your stuff. That's just, that's just not real world, Eric. Escapism. What you're doing is you're really escaping. You're not living in the now and in the world. You need to live in the now and the world. You're just getting off. You're always thinking about heaven and, and, and you're always going to be about the kingdom. Well, uh, that's not that's not you don't pay the bills, man. That's not real. I, I, I want to propose that we have some flaws about hope. OK, guys, just keep popping these up for me real quick. So the misconception of hope, by definition, we would say uh, is that you just now no, I want you to don't miss this. OK, guys, don't miss this. So what will happen a lot of times when we talk about hope as Christians now, and we'll say hope is actually genuinely uh, distinguished from certainty. So we separate the two. So hope really is just like the world. We think hope is kind of like, oh, you know what? Let me give you an example. Keep going, please. So I don't know. Oh. Pray for the Lord to bless this because I just feel like this, this thing is killing me here. So if it goes, yeah, just, just one at a time. Okay, just the next one, big man. Next slide. Next slide, yep. Okay, now one more. There you go, right there, buddy. All right, and then, when I, then as I keep going, you, okay, I'll just hit you like that. Okay, so let me get back to here so I can make sure we get back back in what God wants us to see. I, I wonder if, the, if, hope, if, the, if Satan wants us not to understand hope. Because I guarantee you, like even as I was looking at my own, my, my own worshipful life, just like trying to worship God, I'm like, man, do I get hope? So here's the way we talk about hope. I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope it happens. Okay? 
How many of us use hope like that? And how many of us, can we be real Christians here? Oh, all the rest of y'all is biblical-centric, huh? Okay, so, so we, we think of hope and we think, oh, you know what? Well, I hope it happens. And that has no certainty. Okay? And that's, that's the world's definition of hope. That's just kind of, that's definition apart from the cross and resurrection. Okay? But see, what Jesus did and what the Bible assumes is in the cross and resurrection is there's a whole new definition of hope now. So I want, I want you to pull, I want you to call me on this. So just look at what the scripture says. That's not biblical. Okay, if you believe this and you talk about this from the perspective of Christianity, you don't get the gospel. Because that's not what your hope is when you talk about hoping in Christ. Continue on, please. So look at Romans 8, 24. This is what it says. For in this hope we were saved. Okay? Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. You see the difference between Christianity hope and the world's hope? The difference is this. It's not that you're, you, you hope it happens and there's no certainty. The reality is that you absolutely know there's certainty and you're just waiting for it. Do you see the difference? The difference is, as a Christian, we're not going, man, I mean, will he do it? Will he not? No. As Christians, we're going, one day, it's already done. Now I'm just waiting for it. It's like a trust fund. The money's in the bank. He's just saying one day you got to take it out. That's why he gives you terminology about it being here and being there and coming to you. Why? Because he's not going to create it one day. He said it's already there. It's here. And he says one day it's going to come to us. So, you, so biblical Christianity is that you have hope and it's certain hope. Certain hope. And that in faith, you believe and understand that that one day will be a reality. Do you see the difference? Huge. Let me explain why it's huge. Continue on, please. So we wait for it with great patience. We wait for it. Continue on, please. So biblical hope is God has promised is going to happen. And you put your trust in that promise. That it's going to happen. Do you see the difference? Let me explain why. If you don't, if we don't get that difference, here's what it does. Continue on, please. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. Pause there. Christian hope is confident that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. Now, here's what happens when you and I. Oh, man. Here's what happens to us, guys. When you and I don't have the right perspective of biblical hope. We find ourselves doing two things. And understand, this is how it affects love. Theologically, we find ourselves either compensating by having fear or anxiety, which makes you immobile. Or having greed and control, which I propose makes you immobile. And here's why you either have fear or anxiety. Now, hear me, family. Here's why you have fear or anxiety or you have control or greed. Because what you're really saying and what I'm really saying, when we don't understand hope that God has everything for me, that he has my future intact, he has sustained me, and I'm safe in him. What we're really saying, I don't believe that. So now, either I'm going to work out my plan through fear and anxiety, or I'm going to go, God, I can't trust you, so I'm going to work it out in control and greed. Do you see that? Tell me that's not your narrative. We either compensate and go, God, I don't know if this is going to work out, so I guess I got to make it happen. And we start, then that's why we gather our money. That's why we gather our stuff. That's why we put our focus in other guys. Oh, Lord, I don't think I can trust you. I know this is going to happen. So now I sit and I tremble in fear. And in any case, 
When we don't understand hope that God is for you, that he wants to sustain you. Continue on, please. Hope is not wishful thinking. Continue on. If we're not convinced, guys, hear this, that your future, your future, David, your future, Adrian, your future, Eric, your future, Scott, is totally secured in Christ and satisfied in Christ. You will always, I will always move toward either fear and anxiety or I'm going to move toward control and greed. Because what I'm saying is God doesn't have my best. And so I got to have my best. Do you see that? Do you see how it affects? And now here's the thing. When you're immobile in any of those areas, guess what you can't do? You can't love. You know why you can't love? You know why I can't love? Because you're too busy self-consuming. If it's about you, you ain't got time to love because you're either trying to get all your stuff and be greedy or you're sitting here trying to worry about all your fears and all your anxiety and you can't move. You're immobile. And so in essence, the reason why love flows out of hope is because now when I have hope, my future's secure. And now I'm free to worship and I'm free to give up myself because I know God's going to take care of me. You tell me the truth. When you know someone's got you, you're free. When you got money, now you can give and care for people. That's just a worldly example. And so God is saying, when you and I are not secure, and understand that God has me. And John Piper says something like, um, when he say, you can care for people, I'm going to mess it up. He says, like, you can care for people tomorrow because God has you every day. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I'm yelling. I just want us to get this, that God is saying, look, I want to propose to you the world is lying. The, the, here's the thing. So... When we find ourselves not hoping, not understanding hope, not putting our trust in God, I'm, I'm, I'm laboring on this point of hope because I wanted to get this. That we can't love, and what you find yourself, you find yourself busy, self-consuming, you find yourself trying to climb the ladders, you find yourself, think of whatever is your vice. Think of your, think of your reality. And so people go, man, well, no, it's, you know what? It's because it's, it's, it's we're reading the Bible too much. I want to propose to you the reason why we are, are people who, who are stuck is not because we read the Bible too much. I'm proposing because we lack hope. It's not, it's, I'm proposing it's not like, oh, you got all these, these Christians who can't identify with the world. I'm proposing actually that we are kind of worldly and the world can't decipher Christianity because it looks just like them. And so they can't really see the difference. Because we're wearying and we're, we're, we lack hope and, we, and we're fearful and we're greedy, just like the world. And so they can't see the difference. Guys, these guys, it seems very clear, they had a hope. They had a trust that God is going to take care of them. That who they were and where they were going was totally secure in the Lord. And so Paul says in the beginning, wow, I'm thankful for you guys because I see you have this love that flows out of hope, out of hope in the gospel, out of hope in the goodness of God. See, it's eschatological. See, the thing about hope, guys, is what it does, it eventually works itself out of a job. That's the beauty of hope. See, what hope does is, is God gives us this hope 
in Christ. And then one day he tells us in the scriptures in Corinthians, right? He says, he says, you, we have all these things. We have hope, love and faith. But what does he say in new creation? What will we have? Just love. Why? Why are you going to just have love? Because you're not going to need hope and faith because hope is going to be standing in front of you. His name is Jesus. You won't need hope anymore. You've got the present. He's given it to you. You don't need faith anymore. He's before you. He says one day all we will have is love. Because we'll have our king. He's there. He's laid up for us. Guys, I, 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 I tremble because I'm just like, man, like, when, where, where's the person who's going to take God at his word and, and just, and we're going to just, we're going to just strip ourselves from the worldliness. And then people are going to say, I want to give you, you're going to give you jewelry and I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you prestige. I'm going to give you notoriety. I'm going to make you a doctor. And we say, I don't, those things, when we look at those things, we just scoff at them because we say, what do you think? We don't get amazed by them. We don't get excited about the Maseratis and all this stuff. But we look at them and I just long to be able to scoff and go, what do you think I am? Those things don't excite me. They don't have eternity written on them. I long to be that guy who can just say, where, where's the woman and the man who will stand up for God in that way? Where we, we where the very things that the world offer is just, is just rubbish to us. Because we've tasted the glory of Christ. Because we have our hope. We have our focus, our confidence in Jesus. It seems like, as Paul's encouraging these guys, they get hope. They understand where their hope lies. It's eschatological, guys. He works, he works himself out of a job. It's there, and one day it'll be clear. Now, continues on, he talks about faith and hope in Christianity. I want to I share this real quick. When you look at that text there, if you go back to your Bibles, uh, faith and hope are intertwined. So I just want to explain that real quick, guys. Here's what's going on. Um, I, I tell you it's intertwined, but I want to say it seems that as you look at scriptures, and I was just uh, listening to Patriarchs of Old, it seems that... That faith is almost like hope in its future tense. Okay? Um, it's like, it's like you have, you have this present that you want, that you have, that you know is yours. <clears throat> and then what the faith is, is, is for you to in the future believe that that present you already have is a reality. Okay? So you're gonna see these, they, they get intertwined. But to be a, a biblical people of love, I just wanna praise, pray that, that you and I get, we need to be immersed in hope. I'm saying, man, we need to be glory hounds. We need to be diving in the scriptures, fellowshipping with each other. We need to continue to be thinking about the promises of God. We need to be meditating on the promises of God. We need to be just saying, Lord, I want my life to be immersed in you. These kind of people that you see in verses 1 through 8, they aren't spending all their time on Xbox. There's no way. These people have tasted Christ. So, in this text here, you see very clearly that he, he makes it, he says, hey, love, to be a loving people, it's a fruit of hope. That's clear in the verse. I just wanted to explain hope, help us understand what was going on, the assumptions there. Um, we also have the second piece, is that a life of love which comes from hope is a fruit of the gospel. Um, I want to propose to you uh, that that the second piece, if we want to be a loving people, it seems that, and, I, and this is how, I don't know how this thing works. So, 
so basically, um, I wanted to have it on a picture, but I, I, we couldn't think of how to do it. So I was going to say, say this is, here's what happens theologically. You have hope. Okay? Can everybody see this? All right. And then what happens out of it is uh, love and faith flows out. Okay? And then what's, undergird, what's undergirding all this is the gospel. Okay? Now, what happens is, is when you have the gospel, which brings forth hope, Jesus, our Savior, which brings forth love and faith because our trust is in him, so now we can love and care for other people, is then what flows out of it is the deeds of love. Okay? Is now you have deeds. All right? Deeds and proclamation. And so the deeds and love and the proclamation of love, which is what's happening here in verses 1 through 8, they flow out of this residual of like love and faith, which flows out of the hope they have in Christ, which flows out of the reality of the cross and resurrection. And then what happens is the person sees the deeds, they see the kindness, they see the character, they see the deeds and proclamation. So you can say proclamation, right? So ministry, service, and evangelism. They see that, and then what happens, they go, oh my goodness, that's deep. I've never seen it. And then what they want is they want gospel and hope because they go, wow, I see you have something I don't have. You have hope. Where's the hope in? The hope's in the gospel. The hope's in Jesus. And so it's this crazy cycle. Do you see that, guys? What the scripture says this gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, uh, as it is also uh, does among, among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. The promise, uh, the gospel is the promise of Christ, our proposed here in the text. So, so this is uh, basically our proposed. So let's look at uh, regeneration. So let's look, take a look at spiritual regeneration here. Uh, in a nutshell, I won't write it down, but. There's many different ways you can talk about this. When I say spiritual regeneration, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? In a nutshell, guys, what's happening with the believer is God is saying in this text here is that for whatever reason, uh, you begin to take your hopes, right? You look at the verse here. You take your hopes out of the promises of the world because that's what they do. The world offers you promises. Okay, the world tells you, you know, get yours. Uh, it's about you. Hey, I'll give you notoriety. Um, I'll give you relationship. I'll give you girlfriends. I'll give you security. And the world tells you that. And then God says, I want you to take your hope out of the promises of the world, assuming and understanding that you have your promises focusing on the world. And he says, what I want you to do by God's grace through the power of the spirit is I want to put you. I want, to, I want you to put your promises in Christ. OK, I want you to receive the promises of God. I want you to understand what he tells you, what he promised you and what what Christ promises you is himself. And I want to propose to you that's Christianity. And I want to propose that's why it's so hard. Because the world is giving you all these bells and whistles. And then uh, Christ gives you, as it were, in history, he gives you the suffering servant who's mild and meek. But yet what he does to remind you is that he dies and rises from the dead to show you that he's a triumphant lamb that was also a lion. And so he says, receive me, receive my promises. And that's basically in a nutshell what we're doing as we are being spiritually formed in Christ. Is that daily God is asking you and me to say, let's this, this re- release ourselves from the promises of the world and what the world offers you. And let's receive the promises of Christ. 
And so, and then what happens is the fruit of that is the gospel is increasing. People are hearing the gospel. So Paul's like, I'm really excited about you guys. I see love. I see love that's birthed out of hope that you have in the gospel. I see the love and I see, and I see, um, a faith that's birthed, that's birthed out of the hope that you have. And I see it all in the gospel. And finally, as we continue on, um, it seems that love is clearly a fruit of the spirit. Love is clearly a fruit of hope. Love is a fruit of the gospel. Okay. Jared. Good question. Yeah, so, so basically Jared is asking, where does the love come from an unbeliever who actually does, does these works like us as believers? And that's the beauty of even Ephesians 10. Because I always tell people, people understand like, well, like, why are, why are our works good to God when you get all these good people who do just the same things, but they're filthy rags? And it says, as I would say, that theologically, the only difference is ours is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Is that we are doing works for God and from God. And so people are still creating God's image. So even if you're here right now and you don't believe the gospel, because you were created by God, whether you acknowledge that or not, you're going to still do God things because you're God's creation. But you're not God's child, and so you won't please God. And that's the difference. It's semantic, but it's also deeply theological. That these people, out of whatever whatever false center they have, because they have a center. We all have a center, something that we put our nucleus, our trust in. But I propose, apart from Jesus, it's a false center. Whatever false center they have empowering their works is, to me, irrelevant. I just know it's false. Whether it's, you know, just competence and being smart, whether it's, Man, I just, I get, look up, everybody likes me when I do this. What, whatever it is, uh, without Christ, it's filthy rags, the scriptures teach. So that's a really good question. I just think the sad reality is the answer is the Holy Spirit. And apart from the Holy Spirit, no matter what it looks like, it's not the real, it's not the real thing. Great question. That, I mean, I knew you knew that, but maybe you wanted to, that makes sense? It's not as sexy, but I propose, that's the, the biblical demonstration when he tells us, even Ephesians um, 2.10, uh, that he gives us works now, and they're now the, the works that he's given us before the creation of the world. Well, we've been doing stuff before I became a Christian, but all of a sudden now I have the Holy Spirit. Now God validates those works. Now he says, that, those are my works. I like that. That's what's up. Um, so check this out, guys. So then you look at verse 7. He says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us the love, your love in the spirit. So I love this here because he, he, he starts at the beginning. Uh, if you look at the text here, he says, man, I'm so thankful for you guys. So thankful to see uh, just the love you have, the love and faith you have for the saints. That's, that's come, that, that comes from the hope that you have in the gospel. So we see, man, love coming from hope, love coming from the gospel. It's going forth everywhere in the gospel because of their because of those deeds of love that have gone forth. And now he makes it really clear. But this isn't by yourself. This isn't about you just doing it. This is really an issue of empowerment. And that's why you got to ask yourself, well, what do we do by nature? I mean, by nature, I don't do these things by nature. I want 
money. I want power and prestige by nature. And God is saying, well, you don't do these things by nature. He says, no, these things are by the Spirit. And that's why I love when you jump back to verse 3. I love that he says, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Notice in this text, he never thanks the Colossians. He thanks God because it's the Lord who's providing the works. He's the Lord who's empowering them to do the very things that we've talked about. To be able to have love flow from hope. Hope in what? Christ. To be able to have love flow from, from faith Right. And I'm well, sorry to have love and faith flow from hope that flows from the gospel. All that happens in Christ. How does this happen? Through the power of the spirit. And so this stuff can happen, guys, in our community. And this is where we want. This is why we want to be a prayerful body, because, guys, this is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual thing. We need to be seeking the Lord. Is that to go about this and say we're going to do these evangelism, we're going to do these outreaches, and then we're going to have this output. We still have, we don't get that God has to, he has to allow the fire, the ruah, as it were in Hebrews, the, the wind, the breath of God has to breathe on us and breathe on the things we're doing. So we have to believe that as a body. It seems like these guys in the first century were getting this reality because it seemed that Paul was encouraging them in this reality. That they were a loving people. Because they got hope uh, and their love and faith was shown through the power of the spirit and was breathed out of the gospel. So what do you do with this, guys? It's real simple here. Can you click it on, please? So if you look at these first eight verses, how do we yield to the spirit and see life change? Um, guys, as you look at the text here, I... When you think of Romans uh, ten seventeen, talking about faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Guys, I just implore us that we need to be men and women of the scriptures, uh, that we need to be understanding what the scriptures are saying. We need to be diving in. If we are if we're wanting to be people of love, is that what you want? Do you want to be a loving people? Do you want to be a people? That's what I want. I want to be a people that uh, just a, a man who loves and who enjoys love, uh, who who doesn't. Like have a lack of joy and then blame other people because of my lack of joy, because I'm not getting all that Christ has for me. I want to be a man who's experiencing joy, um, experiencing and enjoying loving people. That's what we want to be as a body. And I'm saying first, man, if we're not hearing Christ, if we're not reading the scriptures, if we're just making up our own stuff, man, we're going to be done. Continue on, please. In the spirit, we need to be in the spirit. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to be working in us and through us. We need to be building uh, uh, an appropriate relationship with the Holy Spirit where we realize he's the one who is empowering us, guys. Continue on. And finally, um, I'm just praying. I, some of the, I just pray uh, that we would be people who um, we have heaven and eternity on our mind. That we think about the gifts that God has given us, about the promises he's, he's made, and we, we, we relish and we meditate on those things, and we talk about those promises. And we're not scared to be holy. And I pray for our body that we wouldn't be a worldly body, but we would be a holy body. We would like and desire holiness. It seems implicit in this text. He's proud of them. Because they're holy. Because they're praising God. They're, they're allowing the pureness of Christ to flow through them. And that's how the gospel is being proclaimed. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take um, 
we're going to do tithe and offering, guys. And then we're going to uh, have a time of communion. And if you are new here, um, I want to ask you to put your, your wallets to your 